Brian, thank you, brother. Glory to God. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Man. I mean, you all, when you're a guest speaker somewhere, you always say it's good to be here. But, like, I mean it. <laughs> Woo! Good to be with God's people uh, tonight. Pastor, thank you for having me. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. A co-laborer here in Alabama. And thank you for the invitation to be here. What a gifted man of God your pastor is. And uh, a great uh, uh, divider of God's word, like it says in Timothy. So I, I praise the Lord for that. Yeah, like he said, uh, we were 14 years in Queens, New York City before coming to Coleman, Alabama. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and not just Queens, man, like uh, Jamaica, Queens, the 718, home of 50 Cent, Ja Rule, Nicki Minaj, and my three kids, what, what? And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and at one point, like my wife, who's my wife who's from Coleman, Alabama, right, my wife looks at me at one point like, Tom, we're raising Yankees. I'm like, ah, you know, what do we do? Put sweet tea in the baby bottle, quick, something. Um, but man, it's been fun, and now that we're here, we've been in Coleman about three and a half years, and I've, I've shared this story, I think Davin's heard me tell this story. Uh, my kids, when we moved, were seven, five, and three, and the five-year-old, the boy, when, I mean, we'd just been in Coleman two weeks. I remember New York, all he's ever known, high-rise, urban living, big, apart, we live at the top of an apartment building. He's standing out in the front yard. We bought this house, he's standing out in the front yard, he's got this weird look on his face. And he's like, I'm like, what's up, what's up, buddy? He's like, yo, dad. The gold chain swinging, <laughs> really. He says, I'm noticing something about this house. I'm like, you mean the house we purchased, our house? Yeah. What is it? He says, this house was built on a park. <laughs> I go, nah, buddy, that's just called a lawn. Uh, I said, if you'll notice, I see how all the houses have a patch of grass. That's all. He goes, every house in Alabama gets its own park. I was like, you know what? Yes. Yes. So how many of you didn't know you're blessed with a park? You didn't even know that. There you go. You have to mow your park. Well, sometimes, uh, I'm sure my kids who are born and raised in New York, sometimes they feel out of place. Let me ask you, as a Christian, don't you feel out of place in 2020? Don't you? You're feeling it more and more, right? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're exiles. We're strangers in a strange land. And, and this text tonight, this speaks to where we're at. Now, I know many of you learned this story as a little child, and I don't know, I don't know who decided what stories in the Bible were going to be kids' stories and what were going to be grown-up stories, but I assure you this is not a kid's story. It's taught as a kid's story, uh, but it is for all of us, especially. Now, it, it is about teenagers, and I'm glad to see some young people. I can't imagine. By the way, I cannot imagine. Let me say a word to the teenagers. I, I thank God for you. I'm so glad. I'm praying for you. I can, can you imagine what it'd be like to grow up as a teenager in 2020? Just, just this one fact alone. Back me up on this. You did dumb stuff as a teenager, but it didn't live forever on social media. Right? I mean, at least your dumb stuff has been forgotten. Theirs is permanent, okay? So this story is about teenagers that's going to bless you, but this is for everybody. And I learned long ago, maybe you learned, every, every grown-up in here is just a grown-up eighth grader. Because what they don't tell you is, see, I, I grew up doing youth camps and doing all this youth speaking. Here's what nobody told me. That's stuff we talk to young people about, peer pressure and not giving in and identity and knowing who you are. What they don't tell you is that stuff doesn't end when you graduate high school. It just takes on different forms. 
it takes on different temptations, different types. But what an what a, what a eighth grader needs is exactly what a grown-up needs. So anyway, enough. Daniel chapter 3 is our text tonight. Daniel chapter 3, how to live as a Christian in 2020. And the text is really asking one fundamental question. Whose hand is strong to deliver? That's what the Lord laid on my heart for this moment, for Sunday night tonight, right here at this church. Whose hand is really strong to deliver? Now, you know this story. Daniel chapter 3 is famous. Some of you heard it since you were in nursery school. And say, say, in fact, say, say the rest of this story if I get you started. It's the story of Shadrach. There you go. Rack, Shack, and Benny. Anybody Veggie Tales? All right, so don't let the familiarity of this story, don't let, you, don't, don't let it fool you. This is not a, not a children's story. Daniel chapter 3, and I hope we can hear it with fresh eyes. Because these exiles, right? Hey, l- l- let's set a little bit of historical context. How'd they get in Babylon? Daniel's the story of some exiles. They're supposed to be in the promised land. They're supposed to be in Jerusalem. Well, about 700 years before Christ, this prophet comes onto the scene, Isaiah, And in Isaiah 1 through 39, he says, hey, I know what everybody thinks. I know the big problem y'all facing is Assyria. This is one of the ancient superpowers. And I know everybody's worried about Assyria, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's Babylon that's going to come in here and take you guys down. And they're all looking at Isaiah like, what are you talking about? In the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, what are you talking about Babylon? Babylon's a nobody. He said, mark my words, it's Babylon. And then sure enough, it is Babylon who carries them into exile Burn Jerusalem to the ground, and now we got these exiles in Babylon. But in a way, they're like us. They still got God, and they still got his word. According to Daniel, he read the prophets and the law. They got the Torah, and they got, most of us think, they got Isaiah 40 to 66 was a letter to those exiles. So imagine, those exiles are reading. Daniel's reading Isaiah 40 and 41, those promises about waiting on the Lord, and 43. Okay, that's where we are. It sets the stage. Nonetheless, they got to figure out how to live in exile, how to live in a culture that opposes the things of God. So let's get to it. Daniel 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, this is the ancient king of Babylon. You've heard a lot about Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to discover in just a moment, is a, what's the word for Nebuchadnezzar? What am I looking for? Nebuchadnezzar is a sociopath. That's the one. (laughs) He's completely unhinged, right? He's, he's He's a deranged, maniacal tyrant. King Nebuchadnezzar, but he's Shrewd, look, he's savvy. He knows there's no better way to unite. See, he's conquered all these ancient peoples. What better way to get them to unite his kingdom than to give them a common religion? And his religion is interesting. Look what he does. He made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Oh, and man, you were waiting, just waiting to get your invitation in the mail. Because it was a who's who. Anybody who's anybody in Babylon culturally doesn't want to miss this moment. He has set up a massive, can you picture it, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, and oh, I mean the satraps, prefects, governors, magistrates, royal advisors, treasurers, whoa, you want to be in this club. And so quite naturally, verse 3, so the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication, this is the ribbon cutting, this is the grand opening, assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. (laughs) She's a real beaut, Neb. (laughs) Just a real nice surprise, Clark. You got here a 
the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you're commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. Y'all, this is, this, is, this is it. This is what's going down in Babylon. This is what's culturally hip and cool and new. And the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors are getting out of their chariot onto the red carpet. And they're being interviewed about who their fashion designer was. And everybody wants to be in on this. There's music, of course. you got to have a big celebration. This is what you're commanded to do, oh, peoples, nations, and men of every language. The point there is this is, this is, this is gone worldwide. This is, this is for all the people to come together. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither. <laughs> zither? I, I don't know. We have a very talented music ministry here, zither. I don't know if you have a zither. In, I, don't know if, I don't know what that is or how you play it, but I know this. <clears throat> if you're going to play in Dura, you got to have a zither in the band. <laughs> is that lead guitar is hot, but not for Babylonian man? You, all right, all right. As soon as you hear that horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. It's brilliant. He, he says later, he calls it, worship my gods or the image of gold. It's very, interest, very interesting. His image of gold that he set up is not one god. It's all the gods. Very interesting. What he wants the whole culture to do is he has no problem with anybody having religion. Nebuchadnezzar has no problem. You got your religion, he conquered Baal, and they're out. I mean, he conquered the Canaanites, and they're out worshiping Baal. Fine, bring them. You got Marduk, you got Bel, the, the, the Israelites have, um, have Yahweh. The only thing he asks is that we all collectively agree that your God's not going to be the only God. That's what he has a problem with. Isn't that something? He wants to create a national religion that's perfectly pluralistic. And he has no problem. You can believe anything you want as long as you don't dare say that your God is the only God. That's the religion he's set up. Does this sound familiar to anybody else? That's the religion of Babylon 500 years before Christ. Is that not the religion that we're being asked to set up here? It doesn't matter. As long as we all agree that everybody's God is equally the same. And to drive home the point, we're going to change some legislation around here. And if you have the audacity to refuse to bow, it's that you're saying somehow that your God is superior to all these other gods. So here's the deal. Whoever does not bow, do you see this? Whoever does not bow, verse 6, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Imagine a kiln where you would fire bricks, a big long tunnel. And only instead of bricks, they're going to throw you in there if you refuse to bow. Therefore, verse 7 Therefore, <laughs> you know they tell you, you guys see what the therefore is there for? It's because people are flammable. That's what the therefore. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoo, my, my. I am glad, aren't you? Can you imagine a maniacal uh, dictator sets up this idol and if you don't bow, you're thrown into the blazing furnace. I'm so relieved. I'm so glad, aren't you, that when this idol's being set up, huh, you're forced to worship. I'm glad we live in America in 2020 where there are no idols. Now, if you're laughing or rolling your eyes, you already see where I'm going. What is an idol? They'll tell you an idol is anything you put before God, and that's a good definition. Anything you put over God, that, that's fine. Here's the best definition I've ever heard of idolatry. An idol is anyone or anything you're trusting to save you other than God. Let me say it again. An idol is all about deliverance. And when you put it like that, 
idols start to make more sense. I'm not worried about ancient idolatry. I, maybe I should be pastor. I don't know. But I'm not worried. That, you know, you're a parent of a young person. It is not my fear that physical idolatry is the real threat in 2020. See, throughout history, Satan's had two ways to get your heart away from God and turn toward idols. Two methods. One is physical, visible, tangible idols. The other is invisible idols, right? I'm not worried about physical, visible, tangible idols. Maybe I should be, but I don't think it's any great fear of a parent that their teenager is going to sneak out after curfew, go to their friend's house, yo, 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 sneak out, come over tonight. Why? I just got a brand new Buddha statue, dog. We can rub his belly, right? Sneak in a couple quick bows. It's going to be lit, right? Who's in? Right? I'm not worried about that. You need to understand, in our moment of time, in this part of the planet, for this particular moment, Satan is not so much concerned that you bow down to physical, tangible deliverers, quote-unquote deliverers, counterfeit saviors. He already, why would he worry about that? Why would he change tactics? He's already got us bowing to invisible idols. Why wouldn't he change his tactics? Because this one is working. And we're bowing to these counterfeit saviors. So I believe an idol is anything or anyone that we trust to save us other than God. And I think these idols, they look pretty tempting. And I thought it'd be helpful since, since, since it's so hard. It's, it'd, be, it'd be easy to conceptualize. If we had physical, tangible idols, we could say, hey, that's what we're trusting to save us. But how do you conceptualize that which is intangible? So I thought it would be helpful if we pointed out, and your list may be different. You may add to this. You may disagree with this. Okay, so what would you add to this? But I thought, what would a, what would a 2020 idol look like? Who are the deliverers of 2020? And I thought we'd, we'd, we'd sort of illustrate it using these stackable blocks that I took from my kids. Uh, <laughs> sorry, kids. Daddy needed a sermon. So we're, uh, If you want to jot these down, let's go through them quick. Here, here's, here, this is what I would call maybe the top ten. Number ten, at the base of the idol. The American Idol in 2020. The ultimate deliverer. Pride. It's pride. I'm going to start with pride. Pride is what in the Garden of Eden, no God, we don't want you to be our king. We want to be our king. So I would put number, number 10 as pride. Number, uh, number 9 is self. So I think really, ultimately, we're trusting ourselves to be a savior. And so I would put number nine as self. The Bible says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Now, here's where things get interesting. Number eight, control. Hmm, control. Some of you are trusting in your ability to control as your deliverer. And there are some things God wants you to control. Unless you have a self-driving car, I'd prefer it if you did keep your hands on the wheel when you drive home tonight. I want you to control things. In fact, the Bible says self-control. But what happens when, the, when control becomes an idol, you think, I'd be okay if I could just control her, if I could just control him. If, they, if people would just, if they would just, and you're now putting yourself in the place of God where you're trying to control all these things that God has never asked you to control. Control, see, has become an idol. You're trusting in that to deliver you. You see how subtle that is? Uh, how do you know if you struggle with the control idol? One way you know is... Um, Nobody, you have, a, you have a very, very hard time ever admitting you're wrong. And if you're sitting there right now thinking, that's not me. Like, bro. <laughs> right? Um, the control idol. When things are out of your control, and it's like you, you can't let that go. Why? Because you, you feel, uh, anxiety, by the way, anxiety is a symptom of this. Because you feel the need to control the universe. And you're worried because things are not going out of your control. 
In fact, some of you are very shrewd, and you've already noticed that if I continue to stack these blocks in a particular manner, they will form what appears to be a giraffe. But, and, you're, and you're sitting there thinking, why won't he just turn that block? <laughs> I will turn the block if you will grant to me the irony of the point being about control. And it literally being the point you're missing because you're of desire to control. Will you grant me that irony? All right. Then I will turn the block. Now, <laughs> oh, no, it's me. we'll mix them all up. That way you won't be distracted. All right. We've got to move quickly. Number seven, significance. Significance. Oh, it, how do you, why, why do I say significance is an idol? Remember my definition. An idol is anything or anyone we trust to deliver us. Oh, significance will deliver me if I can. Significance means if the right people think I'm cool. If the right people think I'm okay. If I'm okay in the right people. How do you know you struggle with significance? You know you struggle with this as an idol uh, when you'll, you're willing to be two different people based on who you're with. Why do you do that? Oh, because you're counting on your significance to be the thing that you'll be okay. You'll find worth instead of obviously finding your worth in Christ. Number six is comfort. Well, doesn't God want us to be comfort? Ah, some of you. This, this has become, this is the goal. This, it, my Saturday morning football routine or my Netflix and my couch or whatever it is. None of those things are in and of themselves bad. But when we count on that to be the ultimate point of life, don't you think we've missed out? When we count on that to be the thing that delivers us, that to be the thing we're trusting. Number five is beauty. You say, how is beauty an idol? Oh, don't you know, beauty, we live in a nation that idolizes youth and beauty. And that is an idol that pours out its wrath slowly. Year after year, wrinkle after wrinkle. But it demands its pound of flesh. And it is... Um, Oh, sad for people to think, I'll be okay if I can just go back to what was. If I could just go back to what was, whether it's youth or beauty, and they're living their life looking backwards. As opposed to an old saint like the Apostle Paul who says, forgetting what lies behind, I strain, press on toward the goal. Beauty can become an idol, something we depend upon. Popularity, popularity is something that, it's interesting, I, um, uh, you, you think about that a lot with teenagers and young people, and this is what I want to tell you. It doesn't change. It doesn't change. This sense that, oh, you, you know, your Instagram got so many followers and stuff. We think that that stuff's so petty. It's, it's really not. It's not. I'm talking about grown, mature Christians who are still falling for a comparison. Comparison is a joy thief. Did you know that? Comparison will steal your joy. We have a lovely living room. I've always thought it's well-appointed. It's beautifully decorated. I always thought it was beautiful. My wife was happy with the living room. I was happy with the living room. Until what? Pinterest. <laughs> Pinterest, don't, don't come steal my joy. <sighs> Why? Well, because you then begin to compare. Comparison's a joy thief. 
All right, number three is money. I put money near the top of the idol. I don't think it's a, a truly something we depend upon to save us. I think money is just a symptom. See, in other words, money was there for me. When my kid was sick and needed medicine, it was money that allowed me to buy that medicine. When, when I needed significance, it was money, and, and that allowed me to have the, the power that I could control things. And so, yeah, money looks like a, a savior. It's a counterfeit savior. Diversions can become an idol when we spend so much time on hobbies and sports put them above God, of course. And then at the top of the idol, I would put pride. Say, pride, didn't we, didn't we hear that one before? Yes, it was this one. It's a rhetorical device known as repetition, uh, wherein you try to get across. I believe that through this whole idol is pride. And what's the message of this idol? Go ahead. Go ahead. Everybody's bowing to this. It's 2020. Come on. Who's going to deliver you? Who's going who's gonna to save you if you don't? You know, there's a fiery furnace of insignificance if you don't bow, if you don't live for the cultural idols of your day. Can't you hear the enemy, Satan? Can't you hear Nebuchadnezzar's echo through the centuries? Who's going to deliver you? Who's going to be there for you? Everybody's bowing to this. It's the cool thing to do. Come on, don't you hear the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music? Play along. Bow. You hear that? That's where these Israelites were. Well, let's get back to the action. Does everybody bow? Verse 8, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Now, you have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. <laughs> but um, there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. You hear their jealousy. See, they're envious. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So we're not going to tell you what to do, but uh, burn, baby, burn, right? They want them gone. See, they're... They're, they're filled with envy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar's got a real problem. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Nebuchadnezzar's got a real problem. He's got a real problem. Because he thinks, what am I going to do? On the one hand, I've got to follow through with my edict. I have made a rule that anyone who doesn't bow down to this idol will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. And that's it. And I've got a reputation as a sociopath to uphold, that I'm a tyrant, and this is what tyrants do. So I've got to throw them in the furnace. On the other hand, I really, really, really don't want to throw these three teenagers into the furnace. Why? Because I have invested so much money in them and so much time. Don't you remember? He brought... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of exile, and he's raising them up. He, he fed them from the king's table. He's given them the best education. Why? Because he's counting on them to be the leaders over the entire province of that conquered people group. He needs them, and he's trained them up. And now the, the nerve that they put him in this position. So he has to kill them, but he really doesn't want to kill them. He's got a reputation to uphold, but on the other hand, he really doesn't want to lose these guys. Think, Neb, think. Suddenly it hits him, bing, light bulb, well, for him, <laughs> candle. <laughs> I 
you know what? You just didn't hear the music. That is all a big misunderstanding. That's all it is. I get it. You were brushing your teeth and the zither was playing and it was too quiet. It's a very subtle instrument. And you weren't able to hear it. And so obviously what we have here. So we're going to give a rare second chance from King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, let's try this whole thing again. Let's, let's do that. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready, see, you just weren't ready the first time. I totally get that. If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. And we all walk out of here with what we want. I get to maintain my reputation. You get to retain your alive status. Because if you do not worship it, make no mistake, there won't be a third chance. You understand? You will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And now comes what I believe is the controlling question of this whole passage. Then what God will be able to deliver you from my hand? Who really has power in 2020? Don't these saviors don't they look like they have power? They offer you money. They offer you significance. Hey, if you're a Christian and you're single, go ahead. Go ahead. Try me. You know that the standard, if you're a Christian person and you're dating and you're single, you need to find somebody else who's also a Christian. But if you don't lower your standards, how are you ever going to get a date? Come on. Just bow. Come on. You know everybody else is cheating. How are you going to get by? Lying is part of how we, come on. You've got to lower your standards. You've got to bow. Otherwise, who's going to deliver you? You're never going to be promoted. You're always going to be passed over. If you're not willing to be every bit as cutthroat as everybody else in your business, what God will deliver you from my hand? You hear that? That's the accusation. That's the question. Who's strong to deliver? So what's it going to be? Bow or burn? Are you really willing to Take up your cross? What happens when you, what happens you come to revival and you catch fire for the Lord Jesus? What happens if you're a young person, you go back into your schools, and suddenly they don't like the fact that you're now a weirdo for Jesus? What happens at work? What happens when suddenly all you can think about is Jesus, and you're falling in love with Jesus? Are you willing to take that kind of persecution? You're going to offend your neighbors? Everybody's going to be like, oh, that's them. They're born again. Uh. What's going to happen? Are you going to bow or are you going to burn? Well. I, I don't Look, I wasn't there. I don't know how to read verse 16. We don't know how much time elapsed between verse 15 and 16. Nebuchadnezzar asked the question, what's it going to be? Are you going to bow down or are you going to burn? And some people read verse 16 like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't hesitate. They didn't equivocate. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some people think, sauntered up to King Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach straightened his toga. He looked at Neb. We're not going to bow. You know, I, I'm sorry. I don't buy it. These were three Israelite teenagers. They didn't ask for this. They weren't prepared for this. Three weeks ago, they were the start in varsity for the Babylonian bombers. And now, their moment has come to them. There's an application there. You don't get to pick your moment of great temptation. You don't get to pick your moment of when you're going to be an obedient Christian. It came upon them. It was thrust upon them. And I imagine they're scared to death. And I imagine when Nebuchadnezzar says, bow or burn, they say, Israelite huddle. Right? And they gather together. <laughs> what are we going to do, Shad? I don't know, Mish. 
What are we going to do? Abednego? I don't know. I'm scared to death. I'm scared too. We've got to figure this out. We can't bow. I mean, can we? We can't, but we also can't die. I don't know, man. I'm just a junior in high school. I was preparing for the ACT. Now this, all I wanted was a prom date. I know, dog. I know. You know who would know what to do right now? Who? Daniel. I know. I've been thinking that since this chapter started. Where is Daniel? Like, for having the book named after him, he is conspicuously absent in our time of need. I don't know, man. He said he was having breakfast with a lion. There's a lot of sin. He's not here. I don't know. What, I, listen, can we like, maybe we can, maybe we can cross our fingers, bow, and be like, psych, psych. Like, like, like we don't have to mean it. No, I don't think that works that way. Yeah, I don't either. Guys, we can't bow to the idol. It's like it's, it's breaking at least the first and second commandment. I know. Anybody got anything, man? Because right now we're desperate. All. Well, I just got this one thing. What is it? No, it's, it's probably nothing. No, what is it, man? Well, you know how Daniel told us to read the prophets? And you know how Isaiah 40 through 66 was given as a letter to us in exile? Yeah. Well, well check this out. I was on my phone this morning. <laughs> it, was, it was actually a tablet. <laughs> a tablet. <laughs> and I get this, um, I get this daily devotional. Um, um, it's got the whole uh, Old Testament. We call that the Bible. And uh, uh, anyway, it, I, I just, it hit me. It hit me when Nebuchadnezzar, I wasn't thinking about it. But this was my quiet time this morning when Nebuchadnezzar said, what God will deliver you out of my hand? Look, look right here. This was this morning's devotional. It was the 43rd chapter of Isaiah. What's it say in Isaiah 43? Look at verse 13. You won't believe it. In Isaiah 43, 13, it says, I am the Lord who can deliver out of my hand. And it got me thinking, I don't think this battle is between me and the culture. And I don't think it's between us and the culture, Shadrach. I get the feeling this is God's battle. And I think he's asking us to ask ourselves, like, who can we trust? Because there's almost this sense in which if we bow to that idol, we can save our lives. But if we lose our lives for him, isn't there a sense in which we really find life? I, what are you trying to say? But, well, I don't know. I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is like there's a sense in which we could keep our life, but we'd lose it. But if we lose our life, there's a sense in which we really keep the most important part of us. And it's like, I don't know, I just sense we can trust God. I, I put it this way. I'd rather die connected to life than live connected to death. Well, all right then. What are you doing, Shadrach? I'm tweeting. I'm tweeting that. All right. Well, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it together. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No, you can't, like, back out now. We're in it together. All right, fine. Uh, Shadrach, you in? Yeah. Meshach, you in? Yeah, dog. Abednego, you in? Yep. All right. Uh, Israelites on three. <laughs> One, two, three. Israelites. Uh. <clears throat> now we come to uh, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They didn't need to defend themselves because their life was their answer. I see so many Christians right now who need this word. They need this verse. They are so defensive all the time on social media. It's just totally defensive. We have no need to defend ourselves in this matter. The battle's not ours. It's the Lord's. They didn't need, feel the need to constantly be so defensive because this wasn't their fight. They're servants of the living God. And they point that out. We, we have no need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Here's why. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, because the key question was, who can deliver? The God we serve is able to save us from it. And to answer your question, he will rescue us from your hand, O king. <laughs> tell him the next part. I'd rather not. <laughs> no, come on, you got to tell him. Fine. My brothers here have asked me to share verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, somebody better write this down. Because if, if he doesn't choose to save us in the fire, we're just going to be a smoldering pile of ashes. So I hope someone's writing this down. Make it like, I don't know, make it like chapter 3. Even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold you have set up. Your move, Neb. He didn't rant. They didn't go on this big, long tirade. They, they, do you understand? They just bore faithful witness. They bore faithful witness. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He, he's gone from just a scheming, maniacal sociopath to just utterly rage. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. But king, only one level of furnace heat will kill them. I don't want them dead. I want them dead, then dead, then dead, then dead, then dead, then dead, then dead. I want a statement made. I want them to be made an example. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody got it? And throw them into the blazing furnace. These, the, it took the strongest soldiers in the army because this did not go quietly. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't think, all right then, onward Christian soldiers, onto our death. These guys were fighting for their life. There was violence. They were punching. And these were strong. That's why it took the strongest soldiers in the army. And they're screaming. And they're fighting. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound into, I love the random fashion details, right in the heart of the narrative. They're fighting for their life and they're screaming and Shadrach is wearing a lovely spring blazer that he's able to <laughs> day at the beach for. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire, are you reading this? Killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. You got the story? It's violent. It's a story of terror. They're screaming, and they're fighting, and it took the strongest soldiers to tie them up, so much so that as they got close to the fire, the fire was so hot, it had been overheated, so that some of those strong soldiers die of asphyxiation before they even can shove with their final breath these Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. Somebody tell me, how on earth did we pick this story? Story to teach little kids. You hear that, kids? That's the screams of terror. 
yeah. You can almost smell the burning human flesh. That's what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, craft time, you know. <laughs> this is not a story for children. This is a story of violence and terror and opposing forces in the heavenly. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into this fire. It took the strongest soldiers, some of the soldiers dying. And verse 23 says, these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And you imagine them screaming for their life. There's terror. We're dying. We're burning. We're burning. We're burning. When suddenly, we're not burning. And they look around. They're like, what happened? Did we die? Are we in heaven? Like, awfully hot and flamey to be heaven. Like, that's no good. But wait a minute. I, I, we're not, I think God saved us. I think God, I think God saved us. He saved us. Shadrach, high five. Meshach, high five. Abednego, high five. New guy, high five. What? <laughs> then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there just three men we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, it's the kind of thing you don't forget. Like... Certainly, O king, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and a fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar threw three Israelite teenagers in there. It should have instantly become s'mores. And when he looked back, there was s'more of, I'm sorry. I, there's four men. I see four men walking around. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Well, now that's a different title than all gods are the same. Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps pre... Oh, it's Monday night of revival. I'll give you another crack at that one. Let's respond accordingly. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. There you go. There you go. There you go. And the satrest prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Y'all, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on the clothes. Now I get it. Those weren't random fashion details. That was put in there to show you when God saves, he saves to the uttermost. There's not a thread of clothing. There's not a stitch. There's not a hair on their heads that was harmed as they were walking around in that fire. Did you catch that? Nebuchadnezzar said they were walking around. Walking around. Well, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel. He doesn't know who he was. And rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. And were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation, I mean, a, listen, a pagan king was brought to his knees in worship of the true and living God. Because three of God's people wouldn't bow to the culture's idols. Do you understand the point? You want to change a nation? People, everybody's talking about changing worlds and changing nations. Bear faithful witness and trust in his hand to deliver 
and not anything this world has to offer. And that's, Nebuchadnezzar didn't need a, he didn't need a track. He didn't need a Bible study. He didn't, and all that stuff's great. You know what? When he saw God's people trusting in God, he goes, I want that. I'm in. And not only that, look at what he says. Therefore, new rule, new rule, new rule. I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. All right, so like sanctification is a process. Okay. Everybody's like, Nebuchadnezzar got saved. Yeah, but he's still mean, okay? And that's, that's about right, you know? Just because people get saved don't mean they become nice. Sanctification is a long time. That's why you got to be patient with people. They're still burning houses down, cutting in rubble. It's all right. God's got them. He'll work on them. But I tell you this, he got the sanctification piece wrong, but he got this part right. For no other God can save in this way. No other God can save in this way. Whose hand are you going to deliver? Whose hand are you going to trust to deliver you tonight? Um, I'm going to ask uh, our musician to come, and uh, ho- however you guys will, will, will lead that uh, altar call time, invitation time. I want to draw this to a close and, and ponder with me. Um, that day that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood tall, in the midst of all that, uh, I often wonder years later, like maybe one day we'll, we'll, we'll meet them and we'll know, but I always wonder years later when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how precious Isaiah 43 was to him for the rest of his life, for the rest of those guys' life. And I wonder when it dawned on him. Maybe it was that, maybe it was like immediately, maybe it was years later. But I wonder at what point he goes back and reads Isaiah 43, which was, hey, listen to me. It was, remember, it was a prophecy given to the exiles to be read. Prophecy made. Years before they were in exile, he gave them this prophecy. And I wonder at what point old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go back and read Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass, you know this one? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. You have to imagine in his old age, Shadrach read that and said, yes and amen. Prophecy made, prophecy fulfilled. And me and my two friends, when you walk through the fire, isn't that something? Listen, I'd be the first one if I could. I'd love for this verse to say something different. I'd love for it to say, when you come to the raging waters, you'll be able to tiptoe across it like Jesus did, walk on the water. You'll never have to go through any troubles. When you come to the fire, he'll let you go around it. But it doesn't. It says, when you walk through the fire. What am I trying to say? God did not save his servants from the fire. He saved them in the fire. He didn't promise that you'll be able to go around your fire. He said when you walk through it, you won't be harmed for I am with you. What was that little baby's name that was promised in Isaiah 7:14? Remember what was his name going to be? And the virgin shall conceive and bear forth a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. You know what it costs for him to be with us, don't you? You know what it costs for him to be that fourth man in the fire. 
you know, 600 years after this story, I don't think idols come down when we focus on the idols. I preached this morning in my church, the promise is greater than the problem. It's not about the problems uh, getting smaller. It's about keeping first and foremost the promise. And I would suggest the same thing to you tonight. It's, the idols don't come down. If you found yourself convicted tonight that you're, you've been trusting in some addiction, you've been trusting in some uh, counterfeit God, you've been trusting in some idol, and you've been guilty of bowing to those idols, I don't think those idols come down by focusing on that and trying to do better. I think they come from a different source. I think it comes from focusing somewhere else. In fact, someone else. So what, like 600 years after... These Israelite young men went through their fiery trial. There was another Israelite young man, wasn't there? And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked to their doom, it took the strongest soldiers in the army to tie him up. And you know when Jesus of Nazareth walked to Calvary, didn't they take those strong Roman soldiers to tie him up and discourage him, beat him? And you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a robe, had those robes put on him and didn't our Lord Jesus on his way to the cross have a robe put across his back, the one that they cast lots for? You remember. And when they got to their fiery trial, they had to go through it. But there was a last-minute deliverance. And so the stories are so similar up until that point. But when they cried out to God, there was a last-minute deliverance. And one like the Son of God appeared in that fire with him. But when the sinless, spotless Lamb of God Stretched out his arms on Calvary's cross. He cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was no last minute deliverance. There was no angel that came down and took care of business and got him off the cross. He hung there and he bled and he died and he was forsaken by God. He was cut off from God the Father so that you never would be. He allowed himself to be cut off from God the Father so that he could stand with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in their fire. He allowed himself to be consumed in his fiery furnace so that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not have to go through theirs alone. You do the same thing in your life. He's not promised us freedom from that fire. He's promised us he'll save us in that fire. Let's pray together. God, grant to us a response now. God, that we might Turn from trusting in idols to trusting in you. God, grant that as this revival is getting underway, that you would grant us a spirit of humility and repentance tonight, oh God. That we would repent. We have trusted in things for too long, too many times. And we need to turn from that and turn toward you. God, grant that we might focus our attention back on you, that we might return to our first love. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faithful and obedient unto death. Jesus, you were obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And now you have risen and you are ascended and you are calling us to take up our cross and follow you. So God, grant to us a time of repentance, a time of humbling ourselves. In Jesus' name.